0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, New England knocks off Toronto in a thriller at the casino. Pat Gregoire stops by to talk about the significance of the Callum Crawford hit. Saskatchewan has Colorado's number in Toontown. Two massive games in the NLL West division this week. And the commissioner, Nick Sakevich stops by. All that and more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name, as always, Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. More great conversations happening throughout the week with fans all across the world. Uh, we'll try and touch on some of those topics. Uh, we touch on a couple of them. With our guest this week, Pat Gregoire and the Commissioner Nick Sakevich, who's been a very busy man. We'll get you that interview with the commissioner momentarily. But it was a quiet week 11 in the National Cross League, only three games. And all three were very intense, very close, and could have gone either way, except the Buffalo-Rochester game. Buffalo was in control of that game. From the start through the finish, they never really let off the gas, and they never gave their I-90 rivals a real chance to get in that game. But the Toronto, New England, Saskatchewan, Colorado, those two games were probably the most exciting games of the weekend, a quiet week, and it went a little like this.
1: Over and out of Dane Smith, driving the shot, he scores. Dane Smith over the left shoulder, a good lead. Three to one. Here comes to Snoo, the shot off the right shoulder of Goodley. Two breakaways denied by Angus Goodley. And now here comes Hasek, he shoots and scores. Bram Hasek, it's a one goal deficit. Dane Smith, has it on the right way, feeds it in front. What a goal! Chase Frazier, behind the back. Wow. Vitarelli leads it for Jackson, who shoots and scores. Bouncing it ahead to DeSnu, Goodley trying to get back to DeSnu, gives it over to Evans, and he puts it into the empty net. Matthews for Shatler, takes, takes, scores, Jeff Shatler changing the pace, and he pulls Dylan Ward, it's 2-1 drive. Corbeil setting the pick, nice shot, right on, and rebound, Corbeil, 4-2, Chris Corbeil with
2: the quick hand.
1: The shot that gets past Evan Kirk is Kyle Killen. Gets his second of the night. Kirk got a piece, but not enough. Backing down Rubish, but Rubish standing his ground. Now McLaughlin again rears up and scores. Eli McLaughlin finally gets his first of the night. It's a big one for the Mammoth. Pulls him back within a pair. What a save by Evan Kirk. Up the floor quickly, empty net. It's Brett on target. He's... Toronto, six and one. Upstairs, shot, score! Johnny Paulus, the former Blackwold. It's Toronto, back on the board to make it three to two. Up the floor, Andrew Suter. Suter, the dish, in front. Shot, score! David Brock stuck with it. Hellier, around the pick is doubled. Outlets to Schreiber, fakes once, he scores! Jekowski. And Watkinson, up the floor, another score. Adam Bomberry. Challen Rogers, an absolute missile from upstairs. A much needed goal to halt the run for New England. Toronto, back on the board, thanks to their defensive star, Challen Rogers. Extra man for Toronto for still three more minutes. Jones to the doorstep, Lindner is denied. Extra man on the floor. Rose remains in cage. Ball gets batted. Schreiber, shot. Jamison again.
0: New England outscores Toronto 6-2 in the second half to take a much-needed win over the Toronto Rock. Ends the Rock's winning streak. Drops them into second in the NLL East. The Black Wolves gain some ground on the teams in front of them. Let me get a little parody in the Eastern Division. But that's not the big news that came out of that New England game. The big news is what is going to happen to Callum Crawford. Now, if you didn't watch the game, check out BR Live's archive page. You can find it there. Fast forward to five minutes left in the game, and you will see Callum Crawford's hit on Bradley Cree that resulted in him getting an illegal body check major and a game misconduct and ejected from the lacrosse game. Now, we have to wait and see what Brian Lemon and the National Lacrosse League Disciplinary Committee will do. And those that know Callum Crawford's history, not the dirtiest of players, but has been known to feel the wrath of the law As last year, he received a suspension for a hit when Colorado was playing in Buffalo. And so this would be his second offense. And unfortunately, if handed out to the fullest extent of the law, could see the NLL's leading point-getter suspended for upwards or more of five games. We'll talk to Pat Gregoire about that in a bit. But I want to kind of have my thoughts on the whole situation. I kind of bring them out in our chat with Pat. but The National Lacrosse League has done an excellent job of curtailing dirty hits, unnecessary hits, leveling suspensions and fines for guys who go out of their way to make a dirty and or illegal play. Those that know me know I know that I know Callum very well. I've had him on the show here many times. He and I are very close, and this is not a let's burn Callum Crawford at the stake kind of chat. What it is is an eye-opening look at the fact that, one, everybody can have a momentary lapse of judgment and make a bad play. And do something that can cost your team. And luckily for the Black Wolves, the Major didn't cost them. They were able to kill it off. And they come out unscathed and with the win. That's a bonus. But the long-term effects, which could be five or more game suspension for Crawford, that could hurt the Black Wolves down the stretch. Especially since they're fighting for a playoff spot in that very tight NLL East. And like I said, Callum is not a dirty player, but he has tendencies to make questionable plays. And this was another one. And I have a very strong feeling that the league will... Rule this to the fullest extent of the law. I believe it is 41.1 is the rule uh, about in regards to repeat offenders. And if you get multiple match penalties in concurring years within a 365-day period, you face up to a five-game suspension. If you get three... In a two-year period, it can go up to 10. Now, we're not there yet. However, we are on the precipice of Callum Crawford receiving a five-game suspension or more for the hit that he put on Brad Cree. If you watch the play, Cree is checking one of the Black Wolves players. Crawford goes down to set a pick. For some reason, he leaves his feet and jumps into Brad Cree. Hits him with an elbow right in the face, in the head area. Kreese helmet goes flying. Crawford puts up the I don't know what I did arms and kind of gets surrounded by some players and then ends up serving and ejected from the game. Now, like I said, we'll talk with Pat Gregoire more on this subject in a bit. But a couple things that I need to talk about. And... It was funny, the other night, I was sitting around with some other lacrosse guys just talking about lacrosse and um, big hits and fights, and we came up on the Carson Leung hit uh, with Alex Bouquet a couple years ago in Colorado. Um, And we looked back at the video, and the number one question everyone kept on saying was, did somebody go after Bouquet? And we all know nobody did. Same thing happened this weekend. Obviously, different hits. But when I showed people the hit and we talked about it, the number one thought was who went off after Callum Crawford? Now, I know the National Crossing is trying to get away from fighting, and I'm okay with that. I still believe that fighting has a place in our game when it is warranted. Situations like this, or like the bouquet hit in my opinion, warrant somebody going and grabbing that guy and sending a message. Now, did somebody need to come steamrolling off the rock bench and grab Callum? No, but not one player on that floor at the time for the Toronto Rock went and grabbed Crawford and at least put a glove in his face and said, hey, man, that ain't cool. And with the league moving away from fighting and the instigator rule, I think guys are a little gun-shy to make that move and to try and send that message and set that tone. But when a guy elbows your teammate, almost decapitates him, sending his helmet flying, I truly believe there needs to be some sort of reaction. there. When Alex Bouquet runs 15 yards and levels Carson Leung and nobody does anything blows my mind. I just don't see how there isn't an immediate reaction at that moment. Whether a penalty is called or not, in those situations, when a player takes a run at one of your guys, there needs to be some sort of repercussions on the floor. Let the men police themselves in that moment. If somebody would have gone after Callum Crawford at that moment, my worry is that that person would have gotten an instigator and been ejected from the game, which is why guys are gun-shy to make that move. Now, I'm not saying that in the next game these two teams play each other, there won't be some retribution because there very well may be. Players do not forget especially on plays such as that. But it was shocking to me that at the speed at which that hit in the defensive end for the Black Wolves, oh, sorry, for the Rock, that there wasn't an immediate reaction. I hope that the NLL takes the right course of action, and as unfortunate as it will be for Callum Crawford, By the letter of the law, he is indeed a repeat offender. It was last year that Crawford, I said he was playing for Colorado. He was actually playing for Buffalo against Calgary in Buffalo. And in the second quarter, he drew a match penalty. So if the league upgrades his illegal cross-checking major to a match penalty, which they are very likely to do, that becomes his second match within a two-year period, which becomes an additional five-game suspension. Now, if you remember, when we go back to the um, Greg Harnett suspension, it was the same thing. It was his second major. He had to serve an additional five games. They also gave him a suspension for the initial penalty, I believe. And so his match penalty came with an automatic one or two game suspension. So we could see Callum Crawford serving up to seven games or more. Depending. So a, like I said, not a. Timely play by Callum Crawford. And I know if you talk to Callum, he will say there was no ill intent. He wasn't trying to hurt Brad Cree. But Callum Crawford is, what, 6'3"? Brad Cree, not so much. And Callum Crawford leaves his feet to hit Brad Cree. The moment you leave your feet, there is intent. So it will be very interesting to see what the National Lacrosse League does going forward with this play and subsequent ones as we move along. That was the big sort of grand scheme picture. Within all of that was that 6-2 second half that allowed the New England Black Wolves to come away with the victory to knock off the Toronto Rock. And Callum Crawford was a big part of that. He had two goals and an assist in the fourth quarter alone. As New England would score six in that fourth quarter to take the win. New England now five and one at home. Starting to make the casino a very tough place to play. Unfortunately, without Callum Crawford, that tough place to play could become a little easier. And for New England, their schedule over the next few games. At home this Sunday against the Mammoth. On the road for two games against Vancouver and Philadelphia. Then home and home with Rochester and San Diego over the end of March and first part of April. So, not an easy stretch of games to miss. But maybe a fortuitous time for Callum Crawford to be out of the lineup. Like I said, we'll see how that plays out as the week goes on. Thursday is when the National Lacrosse League will release their disciplinary action. So we will hear from Brian Lemon and the league whether they do push that illegal body check major and change it into a match penalty. We'll have to wait and see. Before we get to the commissioner, Nick Sikiewicz, I want to address one thing. Um, And it's a bit of a guilt thing. We all have guilt, whether it's in work, relationships, sports, everyday life, we all feel some sort of guilt. Last week when I had Marty O'Neill on the show, we were talking about goaltenders, and I was really trying to get into his head about how a... Proven starting goaltender can seemingly lose their mojo and become a backup almost in the blink of an eye. And Marty brought up the point. He said, "Oh, I don't know if if Evan Kirk has lost his number one job in Saskatchewan. It was probably just a hunch that Jammer went with Adam Shoot that game and turned out for the win after Shooter came in." And got the win in Vancouver. Then he played the next game. And then Evan Kirk, of course, was in the net this weekend when the rush took on the Mammoth. But the other person that I was asking about was Aaron Bold. And at the time, my mind wasn't thinking logically or outside of the box. I was just solely focused on the interview and the question at hand. And I felt really bad afterwards When I went back and listened to the interview after the podcast had been posted. And I felt horrible. Because at the time, I completely blanked through everything that Aaron Bold is going through. Now, I'm sure Boldy being the stand-up, professional, incredible human being that he is. He would say that he's not letting outside things interfere with his gameplay. But with everything that his wife, Michelle, is going through, you have to think that things are weighing on him. And I felt incredibly bad for trying to paint a picture of Aaron Bold of having lost his game and not having it mentally when he is still a 100% competitor, gamer, brother of his brothers, and going to war every chance he gets, traveling from Edmonton, getting to Vancouver, going all across North America, traveling with his teammates while his wife is going through everything that she is, it was wrong of me for to try to paint him into that corner. I felt horrible for it all day last week. And I think it is absolutely commendable what Aaron is doing. Uh, the fight Michelle is going through isn't an easy one, so it has to put a lot of, stress on him and his family and their family collectively. And so I feel really bad, and I apologize for that. That was not my intention at the time. I just wanted to know goalie psyches when you don't have your number one spot and you've had to give it up. Aaron Bold, for everyone that I've talked to, has, as you can imagine, has been the consummate teammate through all of this, supporting Eric Penny in every save that he makes and being a standout teammate while at the same time being an incredible husband, friend, and partner in a fight that his wife is battling through. So Michelle, Aaron, my humblest apologies to put you in that moment. I hope everything comes out for the good and that you can get through this fight and come out smiling on the other side. As we all know, the lacrosse world will always rally around their fallen brothers. And throughout the past couple of weeks, the GoFundMe page is starting. It's almost at $12,000. Money continues to come in every day for Michelle and for Aaron. And you can see players around the league donating game checks, donating per diem, sending well wishes, starting auctions, whatever it may be, to do all they can to help raise money for Aaron and Michelle. And a very interesting moment came last week through social media. Apparently, Jake Elliott is a swimmer. Didn't think that was possible. No offense, Jumbo. Just didn't think you had it in you. Well, the big man has been getting in the pool, trying to slim himself down for the summer beach season. And through all of his chats on Twitter about being a swimmer, Julian Culp, who is a D coach for the Burnaby Lakers and an Eastern scout for the New England Blackwells. I believe he also helps out with Team Austria. Uh, Along with Eric Penny, Vancouver Ravens goaltender, who apparently was an incredible swimmer in the Ontario Rec Leagues. Uh, Those three are going to have a swim-off. Jumbo Phelps, Eric Penny, and Julian Kolb will... Go to a local pool somewhere in the lower mainland. I believe they're doing 50 meters, like a 50-meter sprint, with money raised and donated all going to Michelle Fines and Aaron Bold. I think it is a great cause. I think the National Lacrosse League needs to get behind this 100%. I believe Tyson Geick and the NLL Flash should be there filming it. I think this should be a, on a grand stage And I think we should all place bets. And I think we should all try and figure out who we think is going to win and who we think is going to sink and who we think is only going to make it halfway. Also, who will wear a Speedo and who will wear a onesie? All those things are questions that run through my mind. But I think it just goes to show another shining example of ways that the lacrosse family comes together to help pick their fallen brothers up. And to help support those that are in need. And I think it's a great cause. I think it's a great opportunity to have a little fun outside the lacrosse box. Bring a lot of people together. Raise some money. And watch three big fellas swimming out in a pool in little Speedos. So kudos to those three um, on kind of pulling this all together. And again, um, sending love, thoughts, and prayers to Aaron and Michelle and their families as they go through this incredibly tough time. As mentioned, I was able to catch up with the commissioner, Nick Sikiewicz. And he's been a pretty busy guy as of late. Uh, We've obviously had two new teams come into the National Lacrosse League, unveil their logos and names. Uh, So that's two new fan bases. Uh, There's obviously tons of talk of where the next teams are going to be, where the league is going to go next. Uh, We talk alignment. We talked a lot of things, and it was an incredible conversation with the commissioner. So we begin our conversation with the newest of news, Halifax Thunderbirds, New York Riptide. How did he feel that the two unveilings went?
3: Uh, it was a great weekend. Um, you know,
0: Halifax
3: was awesome. The announcement of the Thunderbirds great brand, strong um that that organization did a tremendous job uh, along with the city filling uh filling the house. They had over a thousand people at the announcement, they had lots of merchandise which was flying off the shelf and Kurt Stiers, uh did such a wonderful job, you know integrating himself so quickly into the community and that went really well and then the next day in New york uh, at nassau coliseum we we announced the New York Riptide and also a a brand that was very well received by the New York market the uh, the owners of the team, uh, GF Sports and GF Capital, did a did a uh, survey afterwards and they, with a media outlet, and they got 70% approval rating on the on the name and the logo. So that's really exciting. Because usually, it's like if you make half the people happy with the new logo, that's that's a uh, that's a great success. So really good announcement there, right at the uh, tennis finals. It was an event that GF. Uh, sports runs at the National Coliseum. They they made the announcement with some celebrities and it was really, really well received. So very exciting um, weekend for us.
2: I'll get back to the New York Riptide in a minute. I want to take a step back to the Halifax Thunderbirds. Um, obviously Kurt Styers and his group doing everything to make themselves known in the Halifax area. But to me, it, it seemed, and I understand the whole situation revolving around Rochester and Halifax is kind of, interesting and it's not something that happens too often where a complete team is moving to a new city and the old city is getting a brand new team. But it seemed kind of odd to see current Rochester Nighthawks in Halifax trying to sell the Thunderbirds.
3: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a unique deal, no question mm. about it. And and it was, you know, uh, more unique even than what we ended up doing in Vancouver with, with the – Vancouver Canucks and Canucks Sports Entertainment, and right. the previous ownership of of the Stealth, Denise Watkins. Um, you know, there's there's no two ways around it. You know, both those markets were getting were getting tired and had been in the league a long time, and the arena in Rochester was, was would had pre- previous management, which which wasn't um, you know as hospitable to Kurt and his operation there, and. You know, we found a we found a better home for Kurt, and Kurt, you know, Kurt's one of those longtime NLL owners that um, we all love, and we would be sick if we lost Kurt as an owner in the league. And we found a great spot for him in Halifax, and he fell in love with the city, and the city embraced him. And now the Thunderbirds are, you know, going to be really successful in that town, and Kurt is enjoying his time in the National Lacrosse League again which is the most important thing. And in Rochester, you know, another great market. We've been there for 25 years. Um, The arena was taken over by Pagula Sports Entertainment and is under new management. We're already seeing improvements to the arena. Um, The Pagula Sports Entertainment believe in the National Lacrosse League. And we had an opportunity and find a way for them to own two teams in a regional jurisdiction that was really good for the really good for their business and so it was a win-win-win all the way around i think the biggest winners from all of it are the fans um the the rochester nighthawks fans have a have a new owner and an arena that's going to get better and better over the years as as pagula sports entertainment make improvements to it and halifax gets a new team and the the fans in the Halifax region not only get a new team, but get probably one of our most passionate and one of our best owners in the NLL. So everybody wins in this deal. And we're really excited
2: about that. You touched on the the regional ownership of, of two teams. How did the league work around that? Well,
3: I mean, first of all, you know, whether teams are separately owned or owned by the same, you know, mother entity, the league always approves any kind of player movement or uh, any kind of competitive issues. So we already had rules in place for that. And we just, you know, we just needed to beef them up um, to make it more, you know, I I think, actually I think the result of this is that the Nighthawks and Bandits rivalry may get a little thicker instead (laughs) of thinner. Um, I was there, I was there on Friday night in Rochester and, Man, it was an awesome game with uh, with a lot of heat and energy behind it. So, um, you know, it's all about it's all about creating those you know walls and and rules in between the teams. And the league manages that. I mean, we were we approve every trade. We we approve every uh, deal that's made out there. So we have no concern on the competitive side. On the governance side, um, Pagula is going to have two separate general managers, two separate governors, two separate alternate governors, and they're really, really run as single individual entities. And, you know, all those governance pieces are in place. So we have – look, you know, when I was in Major League Soccer, we had one owner own six teams at one time. Yeah. And uh, you won't see that in the NLL. Um, but this was, this was a unique situation where it just made a lot of sense for the greater Buffalo-Rochester market. Of
2: course – all, long-time lacrosse fans will remember uh, the original NLL when MILL was owned by Fritz and Klein, and they kind of had everybody in their pocket. But this is a new <laughs> generation. This is a new era, and I think, uh, like you said, it's going to throw a bit of a, a wrench into that Buffalo-Rochester rivalry that will put a new spin on things and kind of freshen that up. Let's go back to the New York Riptide. And I was a proponent of bringing back the Saints. And I know a lot of people were, were pushing to bring back the New York Saints was there a reason that you know of that Saints wasn't an option or is that Saints name maybe not available to the National Lacrosse anymore? anymore?
3: Um, I don't, I don't think it was a matter of availability. I think it could have been available and actually I think it was an option, but in, in all, from what I heard, I wasn't directly involved in the focus groups and the, analytics in the marketplace on what the right name should be, but the riptide were the overwhelming choice. Um, We did have some, you know, kind of fans of the past and people in the past I heard um, made some noise and wanted the Saints brand to come back. But listen, you don't get a 70% approval rating on the name for nothing. Yeah. um, Post post announcing it. So I think all credit, to Tyler Brenneman and uh, Gary Furman and Eric Baker, the the management team and the owners of the organization. I mean, they went went about it the right way. They did their homework. They partnered with an agency that did market research, and I think they came out with a great-looking New York brand.
2: Yeah. So when we go into 2020, now we're going to have a 13-team league, eight and five, a bit unbalanced. Is there hope? Is there prospects of balancing that schedule by bringing more teams out west for that year, or do you see uh, a 13-team league going ahead in 2020? Um, no, you know we're we're back. Um, we actually
3: took a little bit of a step back in in our expansion strategy discussions with all the various entities during the prolonged CBA negotiations, um, but we're we're back. Engaged with a number of markets, and a number of them are on the west, mm-hmm. um, in, in the you know not far west, but you know Midwest and western areas. And we also have conversations going on in the in the central part of the country. Um, you know, there's a few markets there, and in the east. So we're we're kind of back on executing on the ex- expansion strategy. Um, it's very exciting because. Mm-hmm. You know, the numbers that we're talking about um, are significant, and they're, you know, record numbers for an NLL franchise, and people are pretty pretty excited about the opportunity to join our league. There's a lot of arenas out there that need programming, and we are proven 33 years in business programming. So uh, we'll, we'll continue to do that. We'll also probably see some discussions or maybe even some changes as early as next year to – you know, our conference alignments and how mm-hmm. we're looking at that. And these are all good problems
2: that we're tackling right now as we speak. Absolutely. Has there been a market that's, I know, you know, uh, you can't say names or groups or any like that, but has there been a market that's popped up on the radar that you didn't think would be interested? Um,
3: no, not really. Uh, I mean, we're very focused on markets, um, on, on, on strategic markets, GIO- you know, yeah. geographic so you, you know it doesn't right. take a genius to figure them out you know when you look at the markets that we're not in obviously mm-hmm. new york was a big missing piece halifax is one that probably people wouldn't have guessed but right. it's great it's great because it's the it's the biggest um small market in canada you know at the province has over a million or almost a million people there so it's not a small city but halifax mm-hmm. i think would have fit into that category but all the cities that we're looking at now are, you know, major, what we categorize as A markets or B markets. Um, it, we're not looking at any tertiary markets like C or B markets right now. We're really right. focused on the major metropolitan areas.
2: Obviously this year, your partnership with Turner sports and bleach report have put you guys in the forefront of a lot more eyes. How impressed have you been with not just the production that Turner sports and bleach report have brought on, but just the number of of subscriptions and people that are viewing the national crossing
3: yeah so uh, i mean overall we're uh 120 plus percent increase in in subscribers uh so far and we're just over the a little bit over the midway point of the season i think we're going to blow our projections away uh in fact i know we are Uh, So that's good news. Uh, On one particular category, I think individual game subscriptions were like 600% increase. And the the best part about all of it is that the production, although we had a few glitches here and there, but, you know, CBS lost transmission of the Super Bowl on their (laughs) streaming website. So I I guess if they can do it, it can happen to us. But overall, very happy, Teddy. It's been uh, the Turner team is very happy with, with us and we're happy with them. And I'd say, you know, the first year stepping into the Turner BRI deal, I would say, you know, ranks very high on, on, on the, you know, probably not, I wouldn't say a 10 because no one gets a 10, but you know, we're, we're a solid eight and a half, nine, I think we got some yeah. things we got to work on, but that's what next year is for and we'll continue to make it better. But the winners in all of this, I think, are the fans, because the production quality, for the most part, has been
2: excellent. Absolutely. I've I've had numerous conversations with Joel Feld, and and he's done wondrous things for the production, for the broadcast. Um, Aligning all the broadcasts, kind of have a same, similar look to them, has really helped the product, especially for newer viewers.
3: Yeah, I agree. Joel's, Joel's been a great addition to the lead office and just working with the teams, helping them uh, deliver and execute on the increased investments our owners have made, which should not go overlooked. Our owners really stepped up and put real money into improving the production. So it really starts um, with them. And then, you know, the resources that were given to the teams ultimately delivered a great product for Turner and Turner distributed worldwide. And that's, you know, that's why we're, we're off to a really good start with them. But again, you know, you know us. We never sit around patting ourselves on the back. We, we're focusing on next year. We're looking at the playoffs now, and delivering an incredible experience for the playoffs and the championship series. And then there's next year, um, and we just keep building and building. We got two more teams coming in the league next year. You know, we're we're pretty confident we're going to have at least one, if not two teams, the following year, and. You know, our goal is to get to 16 teams in this in
2: this next round. Period. Unbelievable. Um, I'm going to come back to something. I can't remember what it is, but I'll, I'll, I'll find it in my brain. Um, <laughs> the, the hall the Hall of Fame has been something that the National Crossing, for some reason, I'm not sure why, has kind of gotten away from in the past couple of years. Can you update everybody on what's going on with the Hall of Fame? Yeah.
3: So yeah that. that... I hope people will think we've gotten away from it because we actually haven't. We, um, we've been, we've been working with the competition committee within the league to, um, to, to reset it, if you will. I mean, the hall of fame is such an important um, property, I would say, you know, it, it, it's a property that there deserves a lot of attention and a lot of focus. And it seems like for a while there, you know, before we, we came on board and you kind of put a new strategic plan in place that it was, kind of a quasi afterthought and it needs its own event. It needs its own um, structure of who gets into the hall of fame and who doesn't. So we've asked our competition committee to look at it and provide the board with some recommendations on how we should reset the hall of fame. It was a very informal committee within the NLL. It needs to be a more formalized committee. So we've been working on that behind the scenes we probably should have been more transparent with everyone on the fact that we were working on this, um, but we weren't. And you know, hopefully, this interview actually gets people um, some some information that we are, you know, very respectful of the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's our heritage, it's our game, it's the the stars that came before us and in, in the league um, that deserve a real big event, and that's that's what we want to create with the Hall of
2: Fame. Perfect. Um, my mind found that thought. Uh, going back to Bleacher Report, um, I know there's some people, you know, Bleacher Report and the National Lacrosse League, North America, incredibly strong. What's the goal to bring in the rest of the universe, as it were, to so people outside of North America can watch our sport? You mean in terms of television broadcasts? Yeah, well, like television, like like Bleach reports not available outside of North America. So, how are our European fans, oh, Australian yeah. fans, watching? Going to be able to watch the National Cup? Oh yeah, yeah, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you.
3: Good question, excellent question. As a matter of fact, um, BR Live and their staff, we were all together down in Charlotte for the NBA All Star Game, and we were discussing exactly that. So there are there are te- technical developments that need to be put in place and. Structural management developments that need to be put in place and, and Turner and the DR Live team are working on that uh, to be able to distribute, truly distribute uh, the NOL product worldwide. I think, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think we're shooting for a rollout of that next year. Perfect. Um, it, I'll get back to you on that one. I'll have an update yeah. for you on that one. I mean, I think that would be the goal, but I'm not sure if, how realistic that is at, at this point.
2: Nick, it's always a pleasure catching up, my friend. Uh, how excited have you been about this season and this year in the National Conference? Because it, it's been one of the best I, I can remember.
3: I think so. More teams making it a tougher competition. I, I'm amazed that the lacrosse it just seems to get better and better every year. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, I couldn't believe some of the goals over this past weekend and the weekend before. Just really amazing stuff. So credit to our players. Um, I've been going around doing a road show, meeting with all the players face-to-face and getting some awesome feedback from them. Some of them have some tremendous ideas for how our league can grow. So it's, it's exciting times, and it's getting getting to be more and more fun to be in the National Lacrosse League.
2: Nick, as always, thanks very much, sir. I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, continue growing our game and
0: our sport, and we'll talk soon.
3: Thanks. Thanks, Teddy. Good to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: There is the commissioner, Nick Sikiewicz. Um, Some interesting little tidbits coming out of there, especially for uh, folks outside of North America. You could be getting National cross League action on your phone, tablet, TV, smart device, laptop, whatever it may be, hopefully by next year. Fingers crossed. Because I think that's a huge opportunity for the National Cross League to continue to expand. And I remember when I was in Bali a few years ago and there'd be late nights, flip on the TV, and I was watching National Lacrosse League playoff action while I was in Bali. And it was on uh, ASN the Asian Sports Network. They had like four different channels. And sure enough, there was lacrosse on TV. And unfortunately, as you heard from Nick, there's just some technical issues with Bleacher Report, Um, In getting that distribution outside of North America. So let's keep our fingers crossed that a solution can be found. And for those of you that are in Europe, Asia, South America, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica, Greenland, wherever you may be, that's pretty much everywhere else outside of North America, that you get some action uh, of the NLL kind in the coming years. Because, like I said, that's a, a huge opportunity for this game to grow more eyes especially with the game growing on an international scale uh, with the world indoor lacrosse championships and the fil doing so many great things trying to get the sport into the olympics i think more eyes more global exposure uh, will continue to do great things for the sport of lacrosse uh, you heard him talk about uh, the hall of fame we'll keep you apprised on that hopefully uh, something comes into the news In the coming months Um, I just think that it is a bit of a shame that over the past couple years there haven't been inducted classes into the hall again I understand that they want to find a better route for this to go down a better process um, but I still think they could have done it without skipping classes The last inducted group of players was back in 2016, and that was Kuliski, Sanderson, and Tavares. So we still need to put in guys like Doyle and Grant and Williams. I still believe Casey Powell needs to be in there. Guys like Reggie Thorpe need to be in there. Uh, Gavin Prout, so many guys that put in their heart and soul into this game and yet aren't being recognized. They will be at some point. We just aren't there yet. So let's hope that um, the competition committee, the board of governors, the league, all collectively come together, find a proper format, a good structured system, whether it be you know who votes, how many votes he get, how long he has to be out of the game before he can be voted in, things like that. Once we get there, I truly believe that this will allow us to push forward and continue to honor the greats of our game. The other kind of interesting thought that Nick put out there was when I asked him about Western expansion and evening out the alignment of the leagues, or of the league, he said that there is already talks about next year of changing the divisional alignment uh, with 13 teams come in. You know, we talked about it last week, what they're going to do with the alignment. I had the idea of going back to Uh, three divisions, keep the West the way it is, and then have two, four-team Eastern divisions, as it were, whether you call it like an Atlantic division and a Central East or East and Atlantic, whatever you want to call it. There just needs to be two more divisions somewhere. I think we need, when we get to 13 teams, I think you got to, if it's not even, you got to break it up into three divisions, uh, and we'll go from there. But what the commissioner said was it's not so much West, Coast. When we talk about Western expansion, he's looking more Midwest. So that brings to my mind, obviously my U.S. geography isn't the greatest, um, Minnesota, Chicago, maybe like Kansas City, Edmonton, Winnipeg, things that are in the central parts of North America. I probably would imagine that's going to be the next expansion because if they do that if they go more central west then you can maybe you move colorado or saskatchewan out of the west and then you can have you know san diego vancouver calgary i think you probably keep colorado there but then if you go sort of midwest you can take saskatchewan out of there and put them in a different division especially if you're adding winnipeg or Kansas City or Chicago or Minnesota or wherever. I like the idea of going to Oakland or Sacramento or somewhere in Northern California. I still believe they should go back to Edmonton and Minnesota. So it will be very interesting. He said that um, there'll be one or two more teams in the next wave. So that takes us to 2021. And he said he wants to get to 16 teams. So that essentially means we're going to get to 13 next year, so he wants to get to, like, three more teams to get to 16, and then maybe they'll have a little freeze. I'm of the notion that maybe the freeze should happen now, now that they've added Halifax and New York, but I think if their next expansion does include some Western teams and you can balance East and West, then you can have your freeze. Get to 16 teams, let it breathe, let the league grow, let the players grow, let the player pool develop. Let some of these new teams and fan bases continue to grow and then see where you're at. Because if you go back to the mid or early 2000s when the NLL did jump and went to 13 teams, we quickly lost most of those teams. Columbus, Halifax, Arizona, uh, San Jose stuck around for a few years, Um, Ottawa, Montreal. We lost a lot of teams because we jumped too quick. And we have to be careful we don't do that again. Nick mentioned a lot of A plus B markets. That's huge. We're not going to C and D markets. So we're we're going to strong markets. We're going to bring in strong ownership. We just got to be careful of how quickly we do that. So if they bring in two new teams next year, which they'll do for 2020, if their next expansion will be probably two, three teams, that takes us up to 16 teams, I'd like to see a bit of a freeze there. Um, You know, you're into the 2020s. You could probably freeze till 2024. That's so far away to think. That's crazy. You could – You could wait till 2024, let all these teams, especially the newer teams, develop, create their fan base, continue to grow, and then see where you're at. So another great chat with the commissioner. A lot of things uh, working ahead, going forward. A lot of things they still need to fix. A lot of things they're still working on. But I think this new group continues to put the right foot in front of the other. We're not taking too many steps back. I don't think we're really taking any steps back. Bleach Report has been nearly flawless. Um, I know some people have had some issues, but I, I think a lot of the issues are just what web browser you're using or what iOS system you're using. Like I, I truly, I don't think I've had any glaring problems with Bleach Report since I've been watching all year long. I maybe had a couple little dropouts here and there, um, The only time it rarely works is when I'm in Denver and I'm on the super slow hotel Wi-Fi. I have to use the enhanced Wi-Fi to get the games to stream properly. So expansion, BR Live, uh, worldwide content, Hall of Fame. All things that are on the docket moving forward and things that the league continues to try to um, perfect try to make better and try to incorporate into moving this product forward.
2: Cold, 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 cold. <laughs> Does it ever get warm in Ontario? I'm, I forget. I honestly do forget. Um, I'm sure you saw, but I was golfing yesterday. No, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to, you know, say ha, ha, ha or anything, but I'm just going to let you know that uh, it was a great day on the golf course. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Um, A quiet week in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, another quiet one, this one, but we got some things to talk about. Uh, the news around the league. What's going to happen to Callum Crawford? Uh, you brought up uh, the ruling that the league states that if you are a repeat offender in multiple years, uh, you are slated for an automatic five-game suspension. Do you think the National Lacrosse League will rule on Callum Crawford to the fullest extent?
4: I, I honestly do. I think this is this is a, a chance for the National Lacrosse League to, um, you know, set a precedence and, and say that they're serious. Uh, about head contact uh, uh we saw what happened with greg harnett a couple of years ago and the same rule was applied to him um and uh you, you know with him uh he was assessed that extra five he appealed um but he still had sit it was six on top of of that but i, I think this is an example where it, it's it's a superstar it's an mvp candidate uh but they're gonna say that it doesn't matter who it is uh He's a repeat offender, he did it last year, and I think they're going to drop the hammer here it's It's unfortunate you never want to see a top player go down, but at the same time, you never want to see hits like that and I know I've been seeing a lot of people on social media saying that hit didn't deserve five games, and you can you could say that it doesn't deserve five games, but that's not the argument it's not does the hit deserve that It's the fact that he's a repeat offender, and it states in the rule book if you are a repeat offender and you know, deem you have that violent contact head it, you're going to automatically receive five game suspension on top of what other uh, suspension you have for that match penalty. You took a lot of heat for posting that information. <laughs> I, I I did. You know what I did? I, I, I don't I all I wasn't trying to say I thought Crawford should be suspended or I I didn't think that I was saying it was a, I mean, I do think there should be some suspension. All I was saying was, this is what the rule was. And I kind of just wanted to throw it out there. uh, But kind of a firestorm happened after that. And that's something that I really wasn't expecting. But then when I thought about it after, I mean, when you're dealing with a superstar player uh, and a player that's having such a good season, I I think it does really, really uh, start to touch some nerves for some people. But let's be honest. They, those type of hits need to be taken out of the game. Uh, there's no 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 spot for that at all, uh, especially when it's an offensive player taking a run at, at a you know a defensive defenseless defender like that.
2: Forty one point four is the repeat offender rule, and obviously the key part in that is any player who is assessed a third match penalty or third dangerous contact to the head penalty or a combination thereof within two year period shall be assessed an additional 10-game suspension. That's if he gets a third. The five-game suspension if he gets two within a two-year period. So we're not saying Callum Crawford is a dirty player, but this is starting to become an issue because uh, you talked about the hit that he put uh, last year in Buffalo when he's playing for Colorado. I can pretty much remember a third time. I don't think there was a penalty call or suspension happening a couple of years ago. Him jumping at players, Is starting to become an issue, and that's really where the dangerous part of the hit comes. If he's standing still and makes that hit on Bradley Carey, I don't think it's as dangerous. If he's standing still in the Buffalo game two years ago, I don't think it's as dangerous. But for some reason, he loves to score goals when he jumps, but for some reason, he likes to hit guys in jumps, and that's got to be an issue for Cal Crawford.
4: Exactly. He's a big boy. He's a strong guy. Uh, and there's no need for him to jump and lunge. But like you said, there there now you see there's been a couple of instances where he's done it and 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 that's just you talk about, you know, crossing the line, that's where he crosses the line by jumping up. Uh there's there's a few, you know, freeze frames and some gifs uh you know, circling around Twitter earlier this week as well, showing that second angle where you can really see him jumping and lunging Uh, right like the elbow right to the chin of Brad Cree Uh, and that that there if you weren't too sure where the point of contact was uh, and you couldn't tell from that first video which I don't know how you couldn't but that second one there that that just shows you exactly what happens and you're right I I don't think Callum Crawford's a dirty player I'm a big fan of his game uh, I, I like the passion he has for the game of lacrosse. He's a great ambassador for the game. Uh, he's a fantastic player. He's having an MVP caliber season. Uh, but those plays like that, it doesn't matter if you're a superstar in the league or if you're you know barely making a roster spot in the National Lacrosse League. Plays like that do not need to happen. And, and it's just such a split-second decision that he made to jump up and hit Cree there. And now not only is he putting his MVP, uh, you know, title in jeopardy, he's now putting his team's playoff hopes in jeopardy as well, because he could be sitting for, you know, a minimum five games if they do bump that up to a match penalty. And it could be even more six, seven,
2: who knows? Tom Crawford's most penalty minutes in a season before this one was 21. So you're right. He's not a dirty player, but we're starting to see a little bit of a pattern um, of these hits that are getting him into trouble. And who knows uh, how Brian Lemon and the league will, will rule on this. We'll find out Thursday when the disciplinary actions come out. I I kind of agree with you um, that there was not intent to hurt, but intent to do something malicious because he jumped. As soon as you jump, you're obviously making an intent. So I think if I'm Brian Lemon, I'm the league, you have to lay the rule down. It's like Connor McDavid in the National Little Hockey League. It's not the star player or the worst player. It's by the letter of the rule. Um, I know somebody gave Jim Ellis a little flack saying, oh, Jim, it's always black and white with you. But that's why there's rules, because it is black and white. And you mentioned Callum Croft, you know, putting um, MVP in jeopardy, putting his team in jeopardy, putting a scoring title in jeopardy. Uh, But one fan brought up the point that if he was going to get suspended, it probably came... At the best time for the New England Blackwolves, because of the stretch of games that they're going into, they have to play Colorado, Vancouver, Philadelphia, uh, Rochester, and San Diego over the next five weeks. So this might have been the best time for it to happen. If he is going to sit five games, I guess you can you know
4: look at that's a very very positive way to look at it. Uh, But at the end of the day. Is that not when you want your best player in the lineup to ensure that you can get as many points as possible? Uh, now Callum Crawford's out of the lineup. Look at that that right-hand side. Uh, who, who are they working with now with righties? Tyler Digby, don't get me wrong. He's having a, a comeback season, but now he's your number one player there. Uh, is a guy like, you know, Nick Tchaikovsky, is he now going to have to come from the back door uh, and play up front? Uh, they haven't activated him yet, but maybe, you know, a, a Quinn Palace. Do you take him off the practice roster and, and throw him up there? Because now they're so short on righties. Uh, yeah. They have Davey Amala, who's been great. Don't get me wrong, but he's only got, what, maybe three, four NL games under his belt. Now your right-hand side uh, is completely changed differently. Wouldn't surprise me uh, if we do see the New England Black Wolves try to make a move to, um, you know, try to put some offense on that right hand side at some point. Uh, but boy, uh, you, the the lefties are much, much, much stronger now without
2: Crawford on on that right hand side. Yeah, it's unfortunate they released Seth Oaks too. There was another right hander that yep. had been yep. playing some good lacrosse for him. He only got into six games, had eleven points, but. There was another right-handed shot. I guess, you know, you don't always look at those little things. of sure you're taking out an all-star and a net possible MVP, but you're taking the core of your right side out of the roster. So very interesting to see what Rich List does if this suspension does get handed down. Um, we're going to talk about the trade deadline in a couple of weeks as it comes on, May, on March 11th, but do you think we're going to see some movements? It's been pretty quiet throughout the NLL this year. I think last year on Relax we were
4: talking about how we expected with the expansion draft that uh, we were we were anticipating on maybe having, you know, kind of like a you know, a trade center style of show on our Monday morning show after the deadline but we really didn't see much movement but I think this year uh with maybe some GMs kind of knowing what to expect from these uh expansion drafts and it being now the second expansion draft just right after another and having these depth pieces. So I think now teams are going to realize, all right, you know what? We're probably going to lose this guy or this guy, or we don't know who we're going to lose between these guys. We might as well see if we can flip someone and and maybe get something for that player rather than just lose them for nothing, um, you know, at the end of the season. I think in the East with a team like Philadelphia, Obviously, they're not going to lose anyone because they don't go into the uh, expansion draft. But a team like uh, Rochester, um, you know, those teams that are maybe on near the bottom, even in New England, if they, you know, drop a, a couple of games, maybe they start thinking of, uh, you know, dishing some players out with the West because things are so tight. I think. Those pieces, are they're going to be more uh, of buyers rather than sellers uh, because you look at the standings. It's so tight between the first place and even the last place team um, that I think that maybe there's there's some teams that are, are going to be looking to add some, some pieces to make themselves stronger. Obviously, we're not going to see an NHL or NBA uh, uh, trade deadline where you see multiple trades throughout the entire day. Uh, but I think that we might see a little more action than we've expected or have seen in the last couple of years. We
2: can hope, though, right? We can hope, yeah. Can hope. I would love okay. to have that. Okay, good. Um, you yeah. said Philadelphia won't be in the expansion draft. Is that what you said? That's that's just I, – I mean, I could
4: be wrong, but I, I from what I thought, I heard the, uh, the, the two teams that were expansion teams this year would be not a part of the expansion draft. I'll have to double-check that, but I do remember, I think – hearing that those two teams would not be not be touched. I could
2: be wrong, though. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, when you look at the National Lacrosse League standings, obviously, you know, Buffalo's at the top. Toronto and Georgia are near the top. But when you look from 1 through 11, the top four teams in the National Lacrosse League are all in the West. And the West teams aren't exactly faring very well against Eastern clubs. The West 4-8 and eight versus the East this year. Does that... I'm going to steal a a, a line from Tim and Sid. Is that a meaningful stat or a meaningless number? You know what? I I do think it is
4: actually, you know, a meaningful stat. Uh, I think the way you look at, you know, the the way things have gone so far this season, you look at the top teams in the East, and those are the top teams uh, in the National Lacrosse League right now. I'm not saying by the end of the year uh, that we might not see, you know, a, a team like, Saskatchewan, or you know, maybe even you know, a, a Calgary go on a run and, and really, really pick up steam heading into postseason and have one of those teams, you know, hosting the NLL Cup at the end of the year. But as of right now, I, I think the East is much, much stronger and maybe more fine-tuned right now. Um, you look at Saskatchewan, who sits atop of the East by no stretch of the imagination, having a, a, a rush style this season um you know of their four losses three of them have come from eastern teams uh, new england georgia and toronto uh and because and, that's what i was kind of you know thinking it's like maybe the west they're just kind of beating each other up and, and but like you mentioned no it's actually it's the east that's doing a lot of the damage when you have those crossovers uh but Some of these teams in the West now are starting to play a little better. And then you look in the East, some of those other teams are starting to falter. You see Georgia looking a little human. The Toronto Rock finally lose their first game in what it seems like a million years. Uh, Now they're starting to show maybe some, some weaknesses here and there, while the West is starting to maybe pick up steam and look more like what we expected out
2: of those clubs at the start of the year. We're pretty much at the halfway mark. Uh, if you had to pick two teams that were going to meet in the finals, who would they be? Oof. tough
4: one, tough one. You know what? <laughs> tough.
2: We're not throwing softballs here,
4: Patty. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just throw it right down the middle. Um, I'm gonna. I, I'll, I'll stay out of the west. Um, it's hard not to, just because of the way that we've seen them over the past few years with Saskatchewan, but I think maybe. I think maybe this is the year we see a different team just because of how Saskatchewans look. Mind you, they looked great last week. Uh, I think maybe we see Calgary uh, come out of the West. I think they're the team uh, maybe to beat in the West right now. Their offense looks like it's really starting to pick up steam. Uh, And at the end of the day, your goaltender can take you super far. And I think that's been the difference between what Saskatchewan and and Calgary have been able to do. Consistent Uh, goaltending. We haven't really seen it from Saskatchewan bull. Um, uh, Kirk was great uh, last week I finally saw what we, we know he's capable of doing uh, But we haven't seen that at con- a consistent pace Where Del Bianco has been outstanding And proving to be you know, the next best goalie in the National Lacrosse League If he's not already near there uh, And then you look in the East I think it's the two teams that we've talked about a lot on this show With the Toronto Rock or the Buffalo bandits, but now I'm really thinking it's the bandits. They just seem more well-tuned from their goaltending to transition to defense and offense. It just seems like there's really no weakness and and they have so much depth up front. Uh, So when teams do maybe try to key on, on Sean Evans and Dane Smith, there's going to be other pieces that are going to come out and score those big goals. Kind of like what we saw with Rochester. I know they didn't end up winning the championship or even with, Saskatchewan you have a guy like Jeff Shatler who goes off because Mark Matthews is smothered completely or with Rochester we saw Courier have an unbelievable playoff run so I think teams that have depth up front on offense will be successful and the Bandits have the most depth in the league
2: were you surprised that Toronto dropped that game in New England
4: uh I mean I've picked Toronto to win and it seems like anytime I don't pick New England, they, they lose, so I guess maybe I wasn't surprised. But no, I think this one kind of had a little bit of a, a letdown game for the Toronto Rock. They've had so many emotional wins uh, over the past few weeks. They go into New England, uh, a very tough place to play. The the way that New England uh, has been able to kind of really take advantage of that home field, uh, I think just one loss so far on the season uh, at the Chino uh, and, and they've looked really solid at home, and, and the Rock were just due for for a loss. Uh, a Sunday afternoon is tough to play on the road, uh, and it kind of just had the, like I said, the recipe for a letdown game. Um, but going forward, I don't think that's much cause for concern for the Toronto Rock. I think they're still going to be a top contender, uh, and if they weren't, uh, you know, if they they find themselves in the NLL Cup finals, I would not be surprised just because of one loss
2: in New England. Did you call it the Chino? I certainly did. Is that is that <laughs> what Ontario people call a casino?
4: That, yeah, yeah, the Chino, the Cino. So, right. yeah, we're, right. we we do things differently out here,
2: man. Yeah, but you're also like the Eastern version of Jake Elliott where you give everything a nickname. That's actually very true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Patty, we'll catch up in a week's time. Always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, great stuff. Uh, who was your grinder of the week?
4: Grinder of the week comes out. Actually, it will be dropping uh, tomorrow morning. But we'll give you a little spoiler. It was uh little. Uh, it was. Uh, it was either between two players, Kyle Rubish. I ended up giving it uh, to Rubes. Uh, but uh, uh, actually, you know what? All you'll have to read the honorable. mention. Oh, what you'll have to read either. the honorable mention. There's some good what ones in there, though. Buddy,
2: appreciate it as always. We'll talk soon.
0: Talk soon, buddy. There is the man, the myth, the legend, Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter at pgreggy. Um, he confused me uh, when he uh, or when he mentioned the fact that Philadelphia and San Diego would be exempt from the expansion draft, and it was ironic because I had had somebody on Twitter make the same comment, saying that to help these expansion teams grow. And the fan bases thrive, especially off their current players, that maybe S- San Diego and Philly wouldn't be and should be exempt from the Rochester and New York expansion draft coming up next year. And when he said that, I kind of scratched my head. and said, I don't think that's true. And so we kind of did a little bit of digging. He asked his sources. I asked my sources. And um, he was wrong. He's allowed to have a moment or two, but he was wrong. Um, Philadelphia and San Diego will take part in the expansion draft. They will have players selected. They can only lose two, just like last time. So I don't think it's as big of a loss as some people think. Yeah, sure, a brand-new team. It sucks when you have two players ripped away from your organization, but that's just all part of the process. Halifax and Rochester will go through it whenever the new teams come in in a couple years. So uh, for those of you that are wondering – When the expansion draft happens next year, all 11 teams will take place. All 11 teams will protect 11 players or whatever it's going to be. Rochester and New York will have their pick of the litter. So um, just to clear that up, sometimes these things happen. People get mistakes. People get facts wrong. So we're not going to healthy scratch Pat next week. He will be in the lineup ready to go as an everyday starter. Uh, But thanks again to Pat Gregoire, Uh, Great stuff on the Callum Crawford thing. And kind of like we talked about, there was... Callum's not a dirty player. His most PIMs in a year, what did I say, 21 minutes? Um, He's obviously over that now because he just got 15 in one game or in one hit. I'm very interested to see, after reviewing the game film, after talking to the parties involved... If the league bumps up the illegal body check major to a match penalty, because if they do, then it's an automatic five extra games. If they don't, then I think there'll be a lot of people up in arms. I know everybody in New England will be extremely happy because they'll have their number one threat alongside. But when you go back and you watch and you watch the, the low angle from sort of the far end, and you can watch Callum leave his feet, lead with the elbow, Cree goes to the ground. Now, earlier I said no one came to Bradley Cree's defense. Uh, Creighton Reed tried to get in there. Uh, the officials stopped him. But still, I, I don't see how you can look at that and watch it and watch Callum's path to Brad Cree and how he sort of turns and jumps and lifts the elbow, as soon as you jump, there's intent. And so I feel that that would induce the league to upgrading the illegal body check major that came with a game misconduct up to a match penalty. If they truly are worried about player safety, then I think they have to set an example. And again, we're not saying Callum's a dirty player. And we're not saying that the hit itself deserved five games. It's a match. If it's a match, it's going to get one or two games regardless. And if it's a match, he's going to get another five games. The hit isn't worth 5 the subsequential culmination, accumulation of majors is what's going to get him the extra five. So make sure you understand that. Make sure you understand that people like Pat Gregoire or myself or others aren't saying that the hit that he put on Cree was worth five games. It's the accrual of match penalties that will get him the extra game suspension. So again, Thursday, league comes out with their supplemental discipline. So we will find out in a couple days' time what the actual ruling is. I want to touch on the Colorado Saskatchewan game before we get out of here? Uh, sometimes I feel like I stay away from Colorado talk because people think I'm a Colorado homer. Um, but the game in Saskatchewan this weekend. Was kind of another telltale sign of, A, how close Colorado is to being one of the top teams in the West. I I just don't think people give them enough credit. But it also goes to show, A, how good Saskatchewan is. And, B, how good Saskatchewan is at home. They have yet to lose a game to the Mammoth in Saskatchewan. They haven't lost a home game as the rush to the Mammoth. Since 2013, when they were the Edmonton Rush, and that was a 9-7 game back on April sixth, 2013. Guys on the Mammoth roster at the time, Casey Powell, Colton Clark, Jordan McBride still in the league, Adam Jones still in the league, Sean Pollock, Cam Holding, John Grant Jr., Dan Coates still in the league, Rory Smith, Creighton Reed, Joey Capito. Guys that were on the Rush squad, Midsky, Rubish, Lintz, Knight, Jeff Cornwall, Corey Small, Chris Corbeal, Ryan Dilks, Matthews, Jeremy Thompson, Aaron Bull, Jimmy Quinlan, Zach Greer, and Corey Conway. The amount of guys that are A, are still in the league, and B, still in that rush squad just blow my mind. But it's been six years and counting since the rush have lost at home to the Mammoth. And there were times in that game this past weekend where I truly thought that the Mammoth were going to pull it out and find a way to steal a victory inside Sastel Center. They just couldn't get over the hump in that fourth quarter. They tried. They outscored them 3-2. to two. They were doing everything they can. Sure, you take the mitski empty netter out. It's a one-goal game. That just goes to show how much closer it was. And I can't wait for these two teams to play again because it's going to be a few weeks when that does happen. April 6th is the next time these two teams play in Colorado. And then the end of the year, the last, two game, or last game that these two teams will play, April 27th in Sastel Center. So we got a few weeks, but... When these two teams get together, it's a darn good matchup. And I want to say it's a possible, I guess I can say, it's a possible playoff matchup because four or five teams in the West make it. But every time those two teams get together, it's a good lacrosse game. But you just go back and look. Georgia hasn't won in Colorado in a few years. Colorado hasn't won in Saskatchewan. In a few years, there are some crazy little streaks that you can find when you start playing teams over and over again. And the, the Mammoth over Georgia is a good streak. The rush over the Mammoth, not so good. But it's a crazy little mental game that gets played sometimes. And as games go on, and as those losing streaks continue... Sometimes it's hard to get over that mental break and that mental block. But I think the Mammoth are closer than they've ever been to beating this rush squad on on the road. And I think when they get back inside the Pepsi Center in about a month's time to take on the rush, I think the game will be just as hotly contested. I'm going to mark it down now. That's That's a Colorado Mammoth win in April. Mammoth win, April 6th, Pepsi Center. Mark it down. This weekend, another light week in the NLL. Just four games on the schedule. Three on Saturday. Rochester at Georgia. Calgary at Saskatoon. Saskatoon. Calgary at Saskatchewan. Vancouver at San Diego. Colorado at New England. Calgary, Saskatchewan, Vancouver, San Diego. Massive Western landscape games. And... With the tightness of the NLL West, we're going to see some shuffling with every game that gets played. We talked about it the last couple weeks with the musical chairs going on at the top of the East and all throughout the West. If Saskatchewan loses to Calgary, Calgary takes over first. If San Diego beats Vancouver, they'll move in a tie for first. There is a lot going on out West. Colorado needs to win in New England to keep pace with everybody else. Because there's going to be some shuffling in the West this weekend. Vancouver a chance to make some waves, climb back up. San Diego trying to end that two-game winning losing streak. Sorry, get back into the mojo of things. They're back at home playing against the Vancouver Warriors, who they've matched up quite well against this year. So um, four good games. But if you're a fan of the Western Division, those two games on Saturday are gonna be ones you're gonna want to keep an eye on. Of course. You can watch all games and replays on BR Live. Check it out. The games are great. Crystal clear in high def. Well, for me, that's another week off as the Mammoth are on the road. So I'll be live tweeting the game on Sunday from my coach. You can follow along at off the crossbar. The Mammoth back in Denver in two weeks time when they'll host the San Diego Seals and which will be a very, very important Western Division game. Thanks to Pat Gregoire, as always, and a big thanks to the commissioner, the big boss, Nick Stikevich, for stopping by and breaking down some things. Always a pleasure to catch up with the commish. He's going to be in Denver in a couple weeks, so he and I uh, will get together. We'll hopefully have him on the broadcast as well. So thanks to him, thanks to Pat, and thanks to you for tuning in and listening each and every week right here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar on Twitter teddy.jenner at gmail.com is the email. Find me there. Give me a shout-out. Drop me a line. Let's have a chat. Bowl lines are always on. Until next time, enjoy the games, everybody, and be excellent to each other.